Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for having me. I'm Richie Sessions. I'm the REF campus minister at Vanderbilt University. Um, I was here, or I think I think I was here in the summertime, so it's good to be back here. Um, and I'm going to do my best, Russ. I hope I don't disappoint you. I should do the best I can, man. Okay. So my wife, Laura, and I have been married 19 years, but on our 10th anniversary, we went to Miami, just because that's what people from Arkansas and Mississippi do. Um, we want to go someplace just really unusual, different. And Laura loves to research uh, cool restaurants, and she, yeah, she loves to find great places. And so we found this one place called Michael's Genuine Food. And, okay, so, and when we get there, there's like heirloom tomatoes, and I was like, oh, this, is, this feels pretty cool. This is too cool for us, like in a kind of hipster way, too. Uh, we get in there, and the waiter's just totally tatted up with really exquisite, beautiful tattoos, totally shaved head with just one long ponytail coming down. And he says, hello, Richie and Laura. And I was like, oh, he already knows our name. That's kind of that's cool. Um, and uh, we takes our, takes our drink orders, and it kind of comes back for a little while. And I'm always like a panic order person, so I don't know how to order. Like, I just get nervous at a restaurant, especially if there's so much good stuff. And Laura orders, then I found like, I was like, man, I don't know what I want. And he looks at me and he says this, Richie, has it been a long time since you've had good chicken? <laughs> That's what he said. It's been a long time since you've had good chicken. And I said, yes. <laughs> the question was so moving, even the way he said it. And then he talked to me about this chicken. It was from France. It had this really great chicken life experience. <laughs> and it was just like, this is the best chicken. It's just like, he says, this is really special. You need to have this chicken. You're going to, no, he just like told me, he's like, you're going to have this chicken. You're going to have this, we're, we're going to have this chicken tonight. <laughs> and he came out and it wasn't fancy. It was just perfectly done. The skin, you know, when the skin's right, it's like perfectly crispy. It was exquisite. And so I left, and then we had this great dessert. It was like homemade deconstructed donuts, and the whole thing was just, it was like a great meal with my, with my wife. But here's why I left. It was all about the food. Michael's genuine food. <laughs> I think that's a great illustration of what we do at RUF. It is all about Jesus. That's all we do. We don't do anything else. It's all about highlighting the work, the life, the glory of Jesus Christ. And so the title of today's sermon, The Essence of RUF, is, a, is kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's sort of a joke. What's the essence of RUF? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. And so, like, having an RUF Sunday, hope you weren't, I hope you weren't worried that we were going to have sort of like, oh, this is an interruption, like when NPR does like a fundraiser, right? <laughs> like, I want to hear programming. No, we're literally going to tell, what's the, what's the essence of RUF? It's the essence of the church. It's the essence of reality. It's what you need. It's what I need. Jesus Christ is sufficient to rescue us. 
And Jesus Christ is sufficient to renew us. Jesus Christ is what your marriage needs. Jesus Christ is what this city needs. Jesus Christ is what is who is where is X marks the spot. He's the treasure. He's God's treasure. And so that's what we give people. And then we, there's a lot of things we don't do because we just want to highlight Jesus Christ. And so I hope you're encouraged in Christ. And so we're going to look at three things from this passage today. What does it mean to receive Jesus? Receiving Christ, we're just look at, that's really, we're going to walk through the passage. Receiving Christ and walking in Christ, and so what? Receiving Christ, walking in Christ, and so what do we do with that? Receiving Christ. The Apostle Paul says, just, if you, just as you have received Christ, so walk in him. Just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's literally, that's, that's a, a technical way of talking about Jesus in the, in the New Testament. Christ Jesus. Every single one of those words means something. Christ as the Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament, and all the fulfillment of his offices as prophet, as priest, and as king, the Christ, the final son of David, the centerpiece of the whole Bible, and so to not have Christ in the center of the Bible, the Bible falls apart. People don't understand what the Bible is about because he's the Christ, the promised one. He is the, the Hebrew Messiah, Christ Jesus, whose name literally is Savior. His name means Yahweh saves as Lord. And so I was thinking about this word as I was preparing this week. Who is Christ? He's the terminus. It's a great word, terminus. It just means the final point or space, or time, the end, the extremity. Jesus is the terminus of history. There is no one more important, even uh, D.H. Lawrence, uh, who is not a fan of Christianity and not a Christian, uh, the great writer, science fiction writer, he once said, like, say what you will about different people, say what you will about Jesus Christ, say what you will. He says, there's no person more important in the history of humanity or ever will be than the penniless teacher from Nazareth. No one. And so people who don't even like Jesus know that Jesus is the most important person ever. No one will ever even come close to being in his league, ever. Like even atheists say that. You have to admit it. And so that's all that Paul's talking about in this book of Colossians. This letter to these people, because people have come into these churches, teachers have come in and said, yeah, Jesus is great. Like, Jesus is important, but you also need to, like, eat these foods or not eat these foods. You need to drink these things or not drink these things. You need to, like, say these things and not say these other things. You need to, like, be involved in these programs and not these programs. You need to watch these things and not these things. In other words, Jesus plus something, and nothing made Paul matter. Like, you want to, like... Paul got so mad, he said, out, he said some really like, outrageous things when people try to add to Jesus. In fact, in Galatians, he said, if anyone preaches anything other than Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. He said, and then he says this, if I or an angel in heaven preach anything than the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us be eternally condemned. That's some serious juice, people. Because Christ is everything. One of my favorite uh, writers, Michael Reeves, who's a British theologian, is president of Union Seminary. He's a great book called Delighting in the Trinity, and he has another one called Rejoicing in Christ. It just, he's really easy to read. He's awesome. But listen to what he says. Sometimes we find ourselves, sometimes we find ourselves tiring of Jesus. Stupidly imagining 
that we have seen all there is to see and used up all the pleasure there is to be had in him. We spiritually get bored. But Jesus has satisfied the mind and the heart of the infinite God for eternity. That is, the God of all creation says, this is my beloved son. He can't get over Jesus. Our boredom is simple blindness. If the Father can infinitely and eternally be satisfied in him, then he must be overwhelmingly all-sufficient for us. You need to hear that today. You need to hear that tomorrow. You need to hear that this afternoon. Like you can't ever get to the end of the infinite, eternal Jesus Christ for you. So whatever your story looks like, whatever your life is, whatever you, Jesus is bigger than whatever, whatever you're going through. Like his hand always wins every time. He created all things. That's all Paul's talking about in Colossians. Listen to what he says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Someone tell me what an invisible is. No, can't. I can't either. So what? He created invisible things. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him and before him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He created all things, sustains all things, all things are his. And in the end, everything moves to the feet of Jesus Christ. That's why one of my my favorite professors, Knox Chamberlain, in seminary, he just said, you never grow past Jesus. You just grow deeper into Jesus. So in RUF... We have a really, 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 really big Jesus for really, really, really big sinners like me. Jesus is not just the king, he's also the savior. So Jesus is this all, no one's like him. He steals the show. But listen to what Paul says about him in Colossians 1, 12 through 14. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. This great Jesus has rescued us. So the great one has rescued us. Not just like some guy, not just some dude, the eternal God, the man, Jesus Christ. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so here's where this is powerful. This is what I do every single day when I go on campus. And this is why I still do this. This goes to the inner secret self. So afraid, so afraid of exposure, so wounded, wounded in ways that we can't even like put into words. The guilt that we know is there and we can't self-atone. Like Jeff Tweedy, I remember this, Jeff Tweedy was the lead singer, is the lead singer of Wilco and there's this line from one of his songs from 20 years ago, there's something in my veins that's bloodier than blood. You ever felt like that? I'm sure he's talking about heroin, but that's really good. <laughs> the real you. Like the, re- like the real you. The one that you like tried to send off. Send off the real you. The needy you, both the victim and the perpetrator. The restless self, the wounded self, the heart of darkness. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. God asks, where are you? It's the prison of sin and condemnation. That's what it means, the dominion of darkness. 
We, we all know what that is. Now, I was, on, I was about 22 years old when I first realized I, had, I was in a prison of sin and darkness and guilt. As my favorite writer, James Lee Burke says, prisons come in every shape and size. They come in the, the shape of a self-condemning straight-A student who no matter how hard they try, nothing ever makes them feel like they've done enough. It com- a prison comes in the size of a self-destructive wild child filling their bodies with any substance that will numb the creeping reality of what lurks in their subconscious, any distraction. It's a prison of judgment and gossip, so bitter and so cynical and so alone. It's the prison of the performer searching for the world to one day someone, enough people will finally look at them and tell them, you're okay. They're all prisons of every shape and size. Now Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the image of the invisible God is the only one who's big enough and strong enough to go to those great, dark, heavy places. I can't. I definitely can't fix me. I'm what's wrong with me. But Jesus is enough. Such good news. Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, join with power. That great hymn, full of pity, join with power. If he, was, if he just had pity, that'd be great. But he has pity and power together, which goes right to the source of the problem. It goes right to the source of your problem right now. And so what does it mean to receive him, okay? Like, this is what we talk to students about. Receive him. Just as you've received Christ. Now, this is the greatest surprise ever. The word received in the Greek means this. To take to oneself, to take over, to welcome, to take into fellowship. That's what that word means. Just as you've received Christ. So something that is infinitely wonderful is received infinitely simply. Simple. Isn't that fascinating? This is what's the biggest surprise of all, and I just can't get over it. And students at Vanderbilt, who all made like 35 and 36s to get in, right? The idea that something this wonderful would be this free is bananas to them. It's too good to be true, and I was like, I know, you're probably understanding it now. Isn't this the best thing ever? Yeah, it's the best thing ever, but like I need to do something. Nope, you just receive it. What do you mean? And so what they do is they try to get God to like them. And then we do all the weird, jacked-up religious things. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace and might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Isn't that a great prayer? Good job, John Newton. I'd hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power he'd subdue my sins and give me rest. Good gracious, that's a great prayer. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And he let the angry powers of hell assault my soul at every part. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will you pursue your worm to death? It's in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayers for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from sin and self to set you free, to break your schemes of earthly joy, so you'll seek your all in me. What are all those places where our schemes of earthly joy have very 21st century manifestations, don't they? 
So you'll seek your all in me. Why? He's the center of everything. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. You may have the whole world. You don't have Jesus. You have nothing. So to receive Jesus is to take him like a child. Receive him. Like the shepherds at the manger. That's one of the greatest examples of of receiving Jesus Christ. Here are the shepherds who are like, you know, first century pirates. That's what they were. They were a ragtag group of people. Just out in the, and then one day the angels say like, today a savior has been born for you. And they're like, for me? They're the first people the angels go to, right? After the Christ has been born. He's been born to you. And they say, go to Bethlehem and find the baby there wrapped in swaddling cloths, right? And then there, there these shepherds go and they find this little baby and they come to him and they have him. And it says they leave full of wonder. They're singing some crazy shepherd song. They got Jesus. The last place on earth that we should be is with Jesus. And there we are. That's the great paradox, the great surprise. It's the centurion when, centurion when Jesus is crucified. The last person ever. When Jesus breathes his last breath, the centurion goes like, that's the son of God. This is the son of God. That's what it means to receive Jesus. You just need Jesus. Just need him. That's what it means to receive him. Take him. The way I like to talk about it with students, as I said, if you ever open up an igloo full of otter pops, if you know what an otter pop is, they're little uh, blue and red and yellow and green little pops in the little plastic thing, they're delicious. But you open them up, if a ki- children, they just go, whist, and you offer them otter pop, they're like, yes. There's no like, well, like grownups do. I don't know about the otter pop. I don't, yeah, let me think about that. Jesus Christ is there to save you, full of pity, joined with power. You take him. Are you a sinner? That's your only prerequisite. You got a dirty heart and dirty hands and a dirty head? That's your only prerequisite. Do you need Jesus? You got Jesus. You know what keeps you from Jesus? Your own self-sufficiency. You know what keeps you from Jesus? Your pride. You know what keeps you from Jesus? Your religion. You know what keeps you from Jesus? Your past record. Like I was a good kid or I was a bad kid or no, my brother was the bad kid and I was the good kid, right? Whatever that garbage is, that's from the pit of hell because that's keeping you from the otter pops. (laughs) And so Paul says this, the second point, you receive him, walk in him. He doesn't say walk by him. He doesn't say walk through him, just walk in him. And he uses some really fascinating illustrations here. He says, having been firmly rooted. That's a perfect passive verb. Having been firmly rooted. This is something that has been produced by God. Rooted. So you've received him, now be rooted in him. Walk in him, rooted in him. Think about that. Think about those images, right? Walking and rooted. You walk and you're rooted. So like walking is like walking forward, but rooted is growing downward. That's the relationship with Jesus Christ. Having been firmly rooted, this imagery comes from Jesus. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And so all of the nutrition, all of the life comes from the vine. It never comes from anything else. 
It doesn't come from other relationships. It doesn't come from your effort. Every single thing for growth in the Christian life comes from the infinite, wonderful, precious Jesus that you just receive. You never go past Jesus. You just get more Jesus. What about my sin after I'm a Christian? Jesus. What about my sin before I'm a Christian? Jesus. What about when I die? Jesus. He's that great. He'd be firmly rooted. I grew up in a world full of massive trees. My favorite was my big magnolia tree that my grandmother had in Magnolia, Arkansas. Magnolia tree. This massive thing. And the limbs were like a dinosaur neck. And I think about those roots going down to hold that big tree up. And all the beautiful gold green reality that that big tree would bring in July all came from those roots going deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil. A Christian is just someone who is more rooted in Jesus Christ. Rooted in Christ. Walk in him, be rooted in him. In other words, you don't don't ever get over Jesus. Don't ever get over him. Be rooted in him. That means, how do, you, how do you root yourself in Jesus Christ? You, that's why you study his word. You study the Bible because the Bible's about Jesus. It's not about something else. And so what we tell students is, Jesus is the meaning of the Bible, and so when you encounter the Bible, even the crazy, weird stories in the Old Testament ultimately found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us that in Luke 24. He is the meaning of the entire Bible, the centerpiece of the Bible. And so when you, you root yourself in Christ, so when you study your Bible, look for Jesus. What you need is Jesus, more Jesus. Does that sound too elementary? Does that sound too elementary? He's God. What are you going to add to, like, I'm sorry if that's too elementary, I'm sorry. Then you need to find another religion. Because this is about a relationship with Yahweh. And to be rooted to him means to be rooted in his word and to his sacrament. Jesus says, take my body and my blood. That's how you root yourself in him. You root yourself in him in fellowship. Then he says, be built up in him. This is another language. Rooted, built up, be built up. Also present past, passive. This is something God does in us. But it's this ongoing process, built up. Jesus calls himself, the, the, the New Testament calls him the chief cornerstone. So everything the building is born... So how do we grow? We build ourselves on the finished work of Jesus Christ, not on something else, on Jesus. Makes me, for some reason, it makes me think of the three little pigs story. I loved that story when I was a kid. It was very upsetting to me. It just blows down two of their houses. Right? The straw, like, good job, guys. The straw house, that's not good. And then the sticks... Right? And these, like, I can't write this big wolf with the big teeth. And then I'm getting so much like cognitive rest when they build the brick house. Like, yes, good job, guys. <laughs> and then he bluffs. And he, remember, like, remember the, there was a cartoon back in the 80s where you see him blowing, and he's like, his face turns blue because he tries to blow it down. He can't blow it down. Death can't blow down the house of Jesus. Death actually makes you more alive. You just slip right on through to the other side. In Jesus, he beat death. Is there anything scarier than death? Nope. So make your argument from greater to lesser. If you can live without fear, you can die without fear. Vice versa. That's what it means to be built up in Jesus Christ. Built up in Jesus Christ 
means being built up in the person who defeated our greatest enemy, death and Satan and sin, established in the faith. That means not only rooted and built up in him, it means established and fixed in the faith of Jesus Christ. What is That's the timeless gospel. That's the old, old story of Jesus and his love established more and more your faith. So what do our kids need? What do our, think about this, parents, what do our kids need more than anything? They need to be established in the good news about Jesus. The best thing you can do is point your kids to Jesus. How do you do that? Say you're sorry a lot. Show them how the gospel works. They know you're messed up. Newsflash. Your kids know you're not Jesus. And so what we do is point our kids to Jesus and show them how the gospel works. I need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I made a mistake. And so we show our kids that we need Jesus. That's how you establish them in the faith. You read your Bible stories to them. I still remember an old imperial song that my sort of Christian family listened to in our tan van on the way to the Gulf Coast. I still remember it. It won't be old Buddha that's sitting on the throne. It won't be old Muhammad that's calling us home. It'll be Jesus. It's all Jesus. Just Jesus. And it's like those little weird things like that. You, you, you expose your people to... You expose your people, your friends, your family, your kids to just more and more Jesus. It's about their relationship with Jesus. More than it's about their, your, their relationship with you. Do you see that? You want to disappoint your kids? Become their Messiah. Get out of the way. And then you'll overflow with gratitude. And that's the ultimate goal of everything. You just overflow. And the language that Paul uses here is overflowing its banks with gratitude. Why? You're in Christ. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Do you see this? When, we, when God graciously blows every other house down, and it's a gift, everything we're trying to depend on, and everything we're trying to find our identity, he blows all of them down, and we think our life is over, he puts us in Christ that you might seek your all in me. And so what happens is, we start putting our trust more and more and more and more in Jesus. We get through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thanksgiving. We get through the days and the nights and the valley of the shadow of death because Jesus has destroyed it all and he shines brighter than the sun. So what do we do with this? Return to Jesus. I remember someone came up to me and they said, you know, I don't do RUF at Vanderbilt. And I was like, oh, that kind of hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> so I don't do RUF at Vanderbilt. And, and I said, y'all just talk about Jesus so much. And I was like, we're crushing it. <laughs> like, y'all just talk. They just so much about Jesus. Jesus, 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 this, and Jesus, that. And I was like, yeah, it's Michael's genuine food, isn't it? It's good chicken, isn't it? Not everybody likes it. But the real struggle is we leave a place like this. The biggest struggle of my, I would say one of the biggest struggles of my life is, man, I still sin all the time. I don't know what to do with my sin. And so much of my life, I would rededicate my life at church camp every single year, hoping that it would take. 
<laughs> Look, if you're not from the South, just bear with me for a second. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then on the bus ride home, I'd done something, you know? You know, I bought a pack of cigarettes or something. You know, I did something that I'm in Jesus, I'm not in Jesus, I'm in Jesus, I'm not in Jesus. So my whole Christian life up to this point is like, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Just as you receive Christ, I'm in Christ. My whole identity is in Christ. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ over me, Christ through me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That's the truest thing about me. I am in Christ. That's Paul. You have his resume that will take you into eternity because he is the eternal, glorious son. Now, we still act like rascals sometimes. And so there's this Romans 7 kind of experience, this tension back and forth. Why do I do those things? I don't understand these things. It reminds me of a story of a kid named Ivan Mashukov. He was born in 1992, and after tragedy with both, lost both of his parents, he actually began to live at the age of like four or five with a pack of dogs. True story. You can Google it. He's 27 now. And he did for like three years. Lived with a pack of dogs. Actually became the leader of the dogs. Until authorities got news that there was a little boy that they thought was a dog who was actually communicating with the dogs. And the authorities went and they got Ivan and they put him in an orphanage with other human kids. But you know what? Ivan escaped three times and went back to the dogs and he was actually even guarded by the dogs. Now, let me ask you this question. When Ivan went back to the dogs, did he stop being a little boy? No. Doesn't that sum up your life? It's like we do things that don't look like we're in Christ sometimes, and there's a disconnect sometimes. And so what do you do? Go back home. That's it. Don't beat yourself up. Go back home. Why? That's who you are. That's some of the biggest relief ever is to realize that even my sin can't separate me from Jesus. And in fact, that reality makes me hate my sin more because it makes me realize I have to leave home to sin. So what does it mean to be rooted and built up and walk in him? It means to live like I already, who I already am. You already are in Christ. You are perfect in Christ. And so killing our sin means stop going back out to the dogs to live our true identity in Christ. Rooted, built up, established in the faith. God's for you, not against you in Jesus. He can't be more for you than he is for his son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the honor of being able to talk about RUF. Thank you, for, thank you for RUF just being about Jesus because that's what we need. And I pray that you bless, bless me, bless all of us as we think about Jesus. Help us love him more. Help us find more fullness and sufficiency in him. Help us stop going out the dogs. In Jesus' name, amen.